Curbsiders podcast is for entertainment, education, and information purposes only, and the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or conditions. Furthermore, the views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and should not be interpreted to reflect official policy or position of any entity, aside from possibly Cash Like More Hospital and affiliate outreach programs, if indeed there are any. In fact, there are none. Pretty much, we aren't responsible if you screw up. You should always do your own homework and let us know when we're wrong. Welcome back to The Curbsiders Teach, our mini-series on medical education, bringing you your weekly dose of edutainment. I'm Dr. Molly Hoiblein, joined by my co-host, Dr. Ira Kurzanovskaya. On tonight's episode, we'll discuss growth mindset in medical education with Dr. Nora Osman. Before we get started with that, Ira, will you remind the audience what we do on this show? Sure, Molly. We are the internal medicine podcast for all things medical education. We use expert interviews to bring you teaching pearls and practice changing knowledge to inspire the next generation of medical educators. And a reminder that most episodes are available for free CME credit through VCU Health CE for all health professionals at curbsiders.vcuhealth.org. All you have to do is create an account. We have a great conversation with our guest, Dr. Nora Osmond, tonight. We cover growth mindset, which is a concept that was first developed by Carol Dweck, who noted that individuals who believe their talents can be developed through hard work, good strategies, or input from others have a growth mindset. And she noted specifically students who believe their intelligence could be developed, a growth mindset, outperformed those who believe their intelligence was a fixed mindset. So we had a great conversation with Dr. Osmond tonight about how to apply this concept in medical education and how it can help us be better teachers and learners. Molly, I agree. I had such a great time listening to Nora describe both how to hold a growth mindset and what it means to cultivate that self-identity or self-theory and also how to apply it from a socio-ecological model. Like what can we do in our mentoring relationships to really cultivate and foster a growth mindset? Uh, Dr. Nora Yusuf Osman, MD, is a primary care physician and director of student medical education in the Division of General Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital. After studying modern culture and media at Brown University, she received her MD from the University of California, San Francisco, and completed her training in internal medicine at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. Her interests are urban primary care medicine, medical student education, and development of programs to support and promote equity among students, trainees, and faculty in health services. So without further ado, let's get to it. Well, Dr. Osmond, so thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to have you on the show today. Do you mind if we call you Nora? No, please, please, please. Great. Um, could you give us a one-liner to describe yourself? Uh, sure. I, let me just start by saying thank you to both of you also for inviting me. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Um, so I'm a primary care doctor at Brigham Women's Hospital, um, and I, I I grew up in New York. I live here. I have kids, a husband, a dog. I like knitting. I like British mysteries. Nice. <laughs> I love that. Any specific British mysteries or just the, the concept of? I like, um, yeah, I, I like things that take place in London. I like watching the, the foggy streets, the rain. I, I like dark British mysteries. They're good to knit too, so I enjoy Combining that those so two cozy. things. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> have yeah. you traveled to London or lived there? I have. Yeah, yeah. I've spent. I've spent a lot of time there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, that's Great. awesome. I like the combination of knitting to the British mysteries. Yeah. I think that also takes us to our next question, Nora. What book do you think every physician should read? 
Um, I think that that's an interesting question. And I think actually, Era, you're asking me two questions. Um, the first question is, should physicians read? Um, <laughs> and I think that, yeah, all physicians obviously I think should read. Um, and sp- but specifically, I think all physicians should read fiction. I, we could spend hours and hours just talking about the importance of fiction and, um, learning how to tell a story and narrative arc and sort of hero's journeys and perspective and voice and conflict and resolution and all of those things in fiction. Um, but I think it's really, really important for us as thinkers and, and um, uh, people who are curious about the world to read, to read fiction. Um, and then the second question that you're asking me is what book is your specific book? And I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Is it's that because there's so really, many or yeah. what? No, I mean, I think it because it depends on, on what people like. I, I mean, it, I, I don't think that I can tell you what to read. I think I think if you love something, then, then read it. Um, and if it makes you think about the world differently, then great. That's a great answer. <laughs> Do you have a favorite failure? And could you share what you learned from that? Yeah, that's uh, – uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the road is littered with these failures, so that's a hard one to pick. And I definitely have some um, what I would call greatest hits. Um, for me, I think the challenge is separating uh, failure from shame. Speaking of fiction, Jennifer Egan and her book about the Goon Squad—I can't remember exactly what it's called—Visit from the Goon Squad or something like that. She, um, one of her characters, calls um, calls these ideas shame memories, and I think we all have a lot of shame memories. And so for me separating, excuse me, separating shame from failure is really important. But I think one thing that I'll share with you is I, early in my career, there was a series of talks that I gave that were terrible. I mean, they were just awful. (laughs) Um, And I think part of the mistake I made was I made the same mistake over and over again. I just didn't, I kept giving these bad talks. And I learned from that experience of giving bad talks, two things. One was I was saying yes to all of these talks just because I was giving, I was told that it was good for my CV. I was told it was good for my career. It was good to get exposure, all those things that you're told in junior, when you're junior faculty. Um, and so I did these talks and I didn't really have any investment in the material and I didn't really have a relationship with the audience. And so I learned from that, the sort of power of saying no, particularly when, as I said, there's no investment in it. And then I think the second thing that I learned from that is that uh, part of being invested in the material is just being prepared. And so knowing, knowing what you're talking about and having a relationship with what you're talking about is, is important. So I'm, I'm, um, that's how I try to approach talks now. With variable success. That. <laughs> that was giving me some serious shame memory flashbacks of standing in front of a huge auditorium. You know, it's like a, a hot conference room and everyone's just shopping on their laptops and you're up there trying to give your talk and you're like, no one cares. No oh one's listening. God. It's terrible. Yeah. Like I'm getting palpitations just thinking about it. It's, yeah. I love that yeah. because I recently had a hybrid CME experience giving a talk to people on Zoom and people in person. And I was wondering how many are shopping online versus at home or in the actual conference, but it's it's quite the experience. Well, Nora, I think you gave us a lot of advice from that uh, failure, but I wonder if you could also share the best piece of advice you ever received as a learner, maybe as a teacher or in your career in general. Yeah. I mean, I can think about it on all of those levels if you want. I can just sort of share an example from each. Um, What's interesting for me, I think, is some of the best advice, we don't remember who gave it to us, right? Because we immediately incorporate it into what we do and it just sort of becomes the fabric of who we are. I remember being a student at UCSF and 
in the ICU. And one of the anesthesiologists, he was the attending at the time, said to me, everyone makes mistakes, period. That's what he said. It's like, oh, wow, that's so wise. It felt so wise. But then he followed it up with a <laughs> with this example that I never forgot. He said, anyone who tells you that he hasn't cannulated the subclavian artery is either lying or he hasn't done enough of them. That's what he said. And I thought, oh, my God, he's right. He's telling me that you just have to keep doing things. And when you keep doing things and keep trying something, of course, you're going to fail sometimes. So I, I always remembered that. And especially when I was a resident and we cannulated the subclavian artery, I, I, rem- <laughs> I remembered it. And then as a teacher, um, my mentor and friend, Bobby Gottlieb, said to me, once you have to stop saying you're not an expert. Because I would get up in front of a group of people and say, you know, I'm not an expert on this. And she said, stop saying that. People are here to hear from you. And so I've modified that to now say, um, I am not the only expert in the room. Or to say something like, you know, I'm going to tell you what I know about this. And I'm really interested to hear the way other people think about this same subject. Um, And along those lines, another mentor of mine said to me, she sort of helped me think about the way to give talks because I I don't love giving talks. And um, she said, but you don't mind having a conversation. Just imagine that giving a talk is a conversation. And that really changed the way I think about giving talks. Nora, that was fantastic. I just kept thinking so many people have also recently been like, Ira, stop saying that you're not an expert in things. And I've changed it to be like, the field is evolving. And I am a member of the evolving (laughs) field. Yeah, right. I'm a part of this conversation. And I'm just going to bring this conversation to this particular room that we're in, right? I will say one other thing. My residency director was Joel Katz. And um, Joel Katz told me when I was finishing residency and joining um, the world of, of uh, medical education, he said to me, you really have to tell people what you want to do. Um, and I thought that that was really good advice because it was different. I think a lot of people think that jobs come because you're in the right place at the right time. And I don't, I don't believe that. I think particularly for a lot of people who come from groups that are typically underrepresented in medicine, that you know, in the right place at the right time moment doesn't happen. <laughs> Right. So I, I always think it's important to be deliberate about letting people know what you want to do. And I, I try to tell my mentees and students and residents um, about the importance of just being explicit. It's also kind of like manifesting your own destiny. Like you're saying that I want to bring this into existence. I want to kind of put it out there in the in the world and the cosmos to hear what I want and what I want to do in the future. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And understanding that what you want to do now might not be the same thing that you want to do five years from from now, that, that's okay. To be open to that evolution is important. Cool. Well, Ira, do you have a pick of the week you wanted to share? Yes. So I recently read a book called My Beautiful Country by uh, Chan Julie Wong. And it was our book of the month pick for a few of my friends. And it tells this beautiful memoir of a child who's undocumented um, from China living in New York and kind of her experience of America which the Chinese word for America is Mako, which translates to beautiful country. And uh-huh. it was so powerful. And also just uh, her descriptions of New York City at that time in the 90s and early 2000s was just so rich and um, really breathtaking. And I cried, I laughed, I cried some more. So if anybody really wants a, um, a novel that's funny, that's powerful, that's um, just authentic, then My Beautiful Country or, or Beautiful Country is the one to go for. Do you put all these things in the show notes? Because that sounds really interesting. Or maybe you'll just email Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We will put them in the show notes as okay. well. Okay. Yeah. 
Great. I'll pass this morning, but um, that lets us just hop right into the, the topic today, sure. which is growth mindset. Let's see. So Ira, do you want to start us off with a case to get us thinking about growth mindset as it applies to medical education? Yes, Molly, thank you. So our case from Cash Like Memorial, this is Marielle. She's a second year medical student coming to see you, Nora, her advisor, after taking a recent exam in the cardiac pulmonary block and not getting a passing score. She's wondering if this failure means she shouldn't be a doctor, and she comes to you to debrief the experience. Your day is especially busy clinically, and you just found out today that you didn't get an educational grant that you had applied for, and that would have funded a big portion of your salary. So Nora, in taking a step back from this case, I wonder if you could kind of share what's going through your mind when you're beginning a conversation with someone like Marielle, and given everything she's shared with you. And there's probably many ways you want to approach that encounter and would love to hear from you on how you would do that. Yeah, this is a tough day, huh? It's a tough day for both of us. So I think probably the first thing I would do is just sort of take an auto check, like a self check, and just see if I'm in the right frame of mind or in the right mindset really to have this conversation with her. And what's the context of the conversation? Like, was this an appointment that we had already set up? Or did she call me that morning or page me five minutes ago and say, I need to come talk to you right now? One of the things that I typically do when people sort of catch me with my door open and say, can I talk to you, um, is I often will say, I can give you five minutes now or I can give you more later. And sometimes five minutes is all people need. But I just I think it's important for us to be explicit about when we can be fully present in the conversation. So that's one thing. I think this case is interesting also because of the parallel failures here. She failed a test and I also am dealing with my own failure right now with this grant. And I think part of this self-check that I'm going to do is ask myself how I am conceptualizing this failure for myself, right? If I'm conceptualizing this as a block in the road that I'm not going to be able to get past, then it might be easier for me to relate to this feeling of abject failure that she's having. On the other hand, if I'm thinking of this as just like, okay, get up, lick your wounds, move on, apply again, then I think that perspective um, is going to help frame the conversation with her a little bit. I guess there's a third element to it, which is part of option two, the lick your wounds option, which is how am I reading the feedback that I got on the grant, right? Am I reading the feedback as injurious to me or as, or am I reading it as um, an opportunity for growth? And I think that's partly what I'm going to, how I'm going to think about it with Mariel. I love that. I think that really brings us right in into kind of the idea of growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Um, and I was wondering if if you could kind of define the two of those. Yeah. So you're referring to the self-theories of Carol Dweck here. Um, and she and her colleagues described these mindsets or self-theories, um, which are sort of a description of the way people, what people's unconscious beliefs are about whether personal characteristics like talent, intelligence, athleticism, et cetera, can change. And so when people hold a fixed mindset, they believe that talent or ability is, is immutable, that there's no amount of practice that can make you better at something. These are people who say things like, I can't draw, right? I can't, I can't draw. I'm not a math person. I'm a, I'm a terrible athlete. That's holding a fixed mindset. And people, when they hold a fixed mindset, and you, I, I'm not saying people who have a fixed mindset because people hold a fixed mindset about some things and maybe not necessarily about other things, you know, in certain domains and not necessarily in other domains. 
So when people hold a fixed mindset, they tend to be performance-oriented. And performance-oriented means that they look for external validation of what their self-theory is. So this means that people, with when they're holding a fixed mindset, are less likely to, to seek out opportunities or experiences or challenges that may threaten that identity. Right, like I'm not going to take if I think I'm a if I think I'm um, a good artist, a good artist in quotes. I'm not going to try to draw something that's hard or that might not look good. I'm not going to try a new medium um, because uh, because I'm interested because the because if I fail at it, that invalidates my own sense of self. And then growth mindset is the opposite of that. So growth mindset people when they hold a growth mindset believe that talent, athleticism, ability is improvable that it that you can grow in certain areas. And they tend to be mastery oriented rather than performance oriented, meaning that they they find challenge and failure nutritive. It's part the struggle is is sustaining for them. It gives them it gives them um, energy, and they believe it helps them grow in that domain. Yeah, yeah that was great. How how do you think of kind of talking to Mariel? With with those two ideas in mind, yeah, I mean, so the first thing I think I I would do with her is validate the her feelings because I don't know what she's feeling right now. I she, is she scared? Is she sad? Is she frustrated? Is she ashamed? Like I've had students say to me, I'm ashamed to tell my parents that this happened, right? Which exactly it just makes me feel sad when people say that they're ashamed to tell to tell their parents because that's a, that's a lot of weight to carry. So first I would try to understand what the feelings that she's having with curiosity, right? The same way we approach patients. Like tell me tell me how you are feeling about all of this. And then I think we probably would need to spend some time normalizing failure as part of the process of becoming a doctor. Because this idea that failing this one test means that she can't shouldn't be a doctor is hyperbolic, let's say. <laughs> does seem a little exaggerated. Um, so I think we would need to take some time sort of normalizing failure. And I probably would share with her, if I'm being completely honest, I probably would share with her that I had just not gotten a grant um, and use my own experience of uh, failure right now in the moment. I would probably use that with her as an example of how we can understand failure as part of the process. I think that normalizing failure piece, Nora, rings back to what you just talked about with the cannulation of the subclavian. Like that person was trying to share with you that this happens and this is a normal part of, you know, being a proceduralist. And if you're not doing it, something's wrong. Right. And I think you're trying to share that with Marielle as well. I think that's right. I loved your point about holding a fixed mindset or just holding that mindset. Do you think you could maybe clarify for us? I think a lot of people think it's, you know, one or the other. I either have it or I don't. I'm yeah. either in the growth mindset or I'm not. And like right. kind of this idea of what it means to hold it or to cultivate or to kind of work towards it. Well, I mean, I think saying that somebody has a growth mindset or has a fixed mindset is a fixed mindset way of approaching that, right? It means that we are fixed in our ideas about that. That is a person who has a growth mindset. I mean, I I, I think um I mean, I think the same could probably be true about anything for which there is any kind of an emotional valence, um, that depending on the circumstances around um, the experience you're having, something may or may not land a certain way for you. And depending on uh, what your history is in that particular thing, like I think about the students, for example, who are for whom it brings shame to them and to their parents, um, that feels to me like so much external pressure that I can imagine around academic things holding a fixed mindset, but maybe not say 
about cooking. Maybe cooking is something that the family does together. And, you know, it's sort of fun to try out new things and to have them be terrible. And then you try something new. That's a silly example, but I, but I just, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just using it to sort of illustrate the way you can be of two minds. I think that makes a lot of sense. Could you take us a step back and kind of describe some of the literature around what the benefits of a growth mindset are and how that having a growth mindset might be beneficial in the medical world? Yeah, I mean, so there is a growing body of literature around this and particularly um I think around the idea of a growth mindset in in medical education. So we talk about feedback as an area for growth mindset, which I think is a really important one. Can feedback relationships be based on this idea of growth? And we talked about this in in some work that we wrote recently, my colleagues and I, um, just about how your own personal identity around around feedback and the way you conceptualize feedback as an individual may prevent you from being able to give feedback well. Because if I think, for example, if I take feedback as an insult, if I find it injurious to me, if it if it threatens my identity, then how am I possibly going to be able to give Molly feedback? in an honest way, because I will believe then that she's going to hear it the same way. And so I'm going to be ego protective when I talk to her um, and, and give her feedback. If some of the listeners really don't have any basis of kind of understanding growth mindset or like mm. haven't really heard about it before, just yeah. like maybe some of the um, literature around like how people with a growth mindset are more successful. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting, um, Molly, is that the growth mindset literature outside of medicine is vast and the growth mindset literature in medicine is not catching, is catching up now, but it's been much slower. So if you're interested in growth mindset, if you just Google growth mindset, you will find books written by basketball coaches and books written by, (laughs) it's really true, books all over the, uh, all over the business literature. Um, and I think I think it's a good I think this is an area that's ripe for us actually. You know, people will talk about it's it, but it's so fascinating too to think about how something some theories become sort of the theory du jour about how uh the you know, growth mindset is now like it's almost like the it's like power yoga. Like everybody is talking about <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes, I was part of that phase for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Somebody also told me recently forest bathing is becoming like the new power yoga that like everybody's talking about forest bathing as like a as like a competitive sport. And I, I do think I wonder a little bit whether growth mindset is going to become sort of a competitive sport. Like, is it something that we can teach? And how can we how can we measure it? And how can we assess it? And so, yeah. But anyways, your question is, where can people learn more about the uh, about growth mindset? She Carol Dweck actually has a very scientific book about it. And then she has a um uh, an easier book that's for for the laity, and I think either of those two are are pretty interesting. Just to go with, back to the original source, and I think Nora, one thing I've realized is that from her from Carol Dweck's work, where she shows you know higher achievement for folks who cultivated a growth mindset, I think there are some folks out there who also feel that there is um, an overestimate of impact relative to the growth mindset and. Uh, or maybe kind of an understanding that the growth mindset only applies if people are able to, people have certain opportunities maybe to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and really go for cultivating growth mindset. And I wonder maybe how you respond to those folks who um, just question or challenge or maybe uh, want more clarification on the impact of a growth mindset. 
Well, I don't, you know, I don't think they're wrong. I mean, I think that this, this idea that an individual is fully responsible for an individual's success is a little, um, regressive. I think there are structural, um, factors, obviously, that go into individual and also organizational success. I agree with you. I mean, I agree with this idea that it is a little reductive to say that somebody's individual mindset is all that they need. Like if you, you know, if you just if you held a growth mindset a little bit more, then you would be you would be chair of your department. I and I think that that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> we'll remember that fact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nora, I think you've given us a lot of mind-blowing uh, comments recently. I think the one that really stood out to me is also your uh, conceptualization of feedback being ego-protective. If you feel that you're, the way you conceptualize feedback is injurious, possibly because in that moment you're holding a very fixed mindset around your own identity. And I wonder if maybe you can expand about that uh, on that a little bit and how you kind of teach learners around uh, understanding that? Because I think that was definitely like a aha or mind-blowing emoji, you know, that type of feeling <laughs> when you said that for me. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of this stuff for me changes. Every time I am in a situation where I give feedback, I think afterwards about it and I give myself feedback <laughs> on the feedback. And sometimes what's helpful is to give feedback with another person because then that other person can give you feedback on how you did it. I recently had this aha moment, I guess to use your your language era, where I thought, oh my God, all I did right then was say stuff that was true. And I didn't and there was no judgment in it, right? This is I observed this and tell me a little bit about what was going on when this happened. And I think you can do a better job. And here's how you can do a better job at that. And everything I said was true. So even in the moment, I was relaxed because I was thinking, I'm not saying anything awful right now. I'm not saying anything that is going to hurt the person because I'm just saying, I'm just saying what I observed and I'm just giving thoughts about how to do a better job next time. It just like the, it was like a sort of the cloudy emotional fog got lifted in that moment. And it, it just, I depersonalized it. And I'll tell you, honestly, some of my, my biggest shame memories are the times when I didn't get feedback in med school or in residency. I vividly remember making mistakes in residency. I mean, in med school and residency and having nobody tell me that I had made the mistake. And then later figuring out that I had made a mistake. I was wrong. I said something on rounds that was wrong. And nobody told me in the moment and I was humiliated. And I think that's another thing that I, that I will say to learners is I'm telling you this because it's important for your learning. I'm telling you this because it's important that you know this. I'm telling you this because it's important for patient care. I'm telling, you know, just to ground it in why I'm telling the person something. I think those are amazing tips around giving feedback. If you had a, a situation where you weren't quite as skilled at giving feedback and you kind of saw a learner take it very personally and, and you got the sense that they had more of a fixed mindset and, and were taking it as a challenge to themselves or an insult to themselves, is there a way that 
you know, maybe later in a different setting when tensions have settled, um, that you might help them kind of shift from a fixed mindset around their medical skills to a growth mindset? Yeah, you know, sometimes I use language like this seems to be landing hard. And I I approach it with curiosity. Help me understand how you're hearing what I just said. Or Molly, you said the conversation maybe would happen later. So I might later say, have you had time to reflect on this a little bit? I've had, I've had the experience with students who have either pushed back or who I knew had a hard time hearing feedback. Sometimes I ask them to write down what they heard in the conversation and then send it to me in an email just so I can see what they think we talked about so I can read it. And then I bring it up with them again later um, and, you know, go over those details with them again. Sometimes I think that helps with, with students who are very literal, you know, or, or concrete in the way they hear things. I think it's helpful to just get, understand the way they're conceptualizing something. The other thing is if there's time for it, I, I sometimes, I think I'm like a TMI kind of person, but I, I sometimes will just like share examples of my own failures and also more maybe even more importantly how my own attitude towards failure has evolved because I didn't you know I didn't always feel about failure the way I feel now and you know tomorrow I might have a different attitude towards it from from how I feel today but so I, I do share that with them too I sometimes will say when I was at your stage of training I felt this way and I learned the following things. Um, I often preface things, just one more thing. I often preface things with, with the phrase, would it be helpful if I shared X, Y, and Z with you? I think that's, um, you know, something we learn in, um, motivational interviewing. Would it be helpful if I shared X, Y, or Z with you? And I think, I think people tend to respond well to that. Or I think your ability to share your own personal growth journey, I think, is part of the power of conversations with you. Like, I feel like if I was Muriel, I would be benefiting a lot from this conversation. <laughs> I do wonder when you're having that feedback conversation that you just mentioned uh, to Molly and me, do you ever name for students? You know, I, I'm, I'm noticing that there are aspects of a fixed mindset in the way you are approaching this or what I'm hearing you say sounds like you are cultivating a growth mindset. Like, do you ever use that? those terms in your conversations with students or with learners? Yeah, I think if I'm being honest, I think I don't. Um, like with Mariel, I don't think I would say, gosh, it sounds like you have a fixed mindset about this specific thing. <laughs> I, right. I, but I might, because it, it, maybe it feels too theoretical. I think in the moment I might say, I'm curious about how you get from point A to point B. So I'm curious about why failing your cardiopulmonary exam means that you shouldn't be a doctor. Help me understand that. And then in the context of that conversation, maybe just reflecting back to her the idea that, as we said before, that that's an extremely exaggerated response to a, to a test and that there's some work to be done in kind of unpacking that. And Nora, you speak a lot about the socio-ecological model yeah. around growth mindset. And um, I just wonder how does that fit in here with Marielle or maybe even kind of the example you gave earlier of I love giving feedback in a community where I have people kind of observe me and and give me feedback on my feedback. Right. I wonder if you could uh, share a bit about that. Yeah. So you're talking about um, 
Ori Bronfenbrenner social ecological model here, right? Yeah. So that is a conceptual model that describes how relationships can be affected by individual and interpersonal and institutional, cultural and societal factors. It's a model that I think they use a lot in the public health sphere. So when you think about like um, child education or you think about tobacco use and how to how to do preventive ta- tobacco use, prevention around tobacco use, you know, you can think about it on interventions at the individual, at the interpersonal and um, institutional and cultural levels. And so we, uh, my colleagues and I have started thinking about this, and I think other people too are doing it, just as sort of an organizing framework in medical education with a group of people actually from CDIM, which is the Clerkship Directors in Internal Medicine. And we also wrote about um, achieving equity in the clerkships um, using a social ecological model just as an organizing frame. So when I think about the social ecological model with self-theories, I think about it on these different levels. And we just talked about the individual level, right? Like how do I conceptualize personally? How do I conceptualize feedback? And if I if I conceptualize feedback as injurious, then that's going to prevent me from giving you feedback that's honest because I'm going to be worried that it's going to break you. And then I think interpersonally, that's sort of dyads. Like, where where can we see the where can we see self theories play out? And I think one of those examples is mentorship. So you know, where how can mentoring relationships embrace, foster, cultivate the growth mindset? Can I, as a mentee, be present and vulnerable enough in the relationship with my mentor to embrace? this idea of failure and growth as being nutritive. And likewise, can I as a mentor be open and honest about my own failings, right? Like in this in this conversation that I'm having with Mariel, can I say to her, this is a perfect time for us to talk about this because I just had this failure too. So when we're done talking about your exam, I need your I need your advice about what I should do, right? Um, just sort of, and I don't know that that's necessarily what I would say that just popped into my head right now, but I might actually say that I might say to Mariel, you know, when you have a minute, I would love you to help me think about this grant. And then, you know, you can think about it at an institutional level. Like we're really good at it. I think in the patient safety realm and sort of just culture where we say individuals aren't necessarily responsible for individual mistakes and that there are structures and systems that can support this idea of growth and I think we're we're okay at that, and I think we're we're probably getting better at it. I don't think we're as good in medical education as we could be. I think I think there. Can I say something kind of controversial? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> we love that. For, may, maybe provocative. I don't know. Maybe it's not that provocative. But I think that when we hold this idea that we're the best institutions, and we're going to get the best students to our, for our med school, and we're going to get the best residents, the best graduating students into our residency programs, I think that that prevents us from actually doing the hard work of failing and training and getting better at things. I think it sort of allows us to rest on our laurels. And your colleagues, Gurpreet Dhaliwal and Karen Hauer, wrote a really nice piece about this, um, about the difference between training and sorting. Um, and hmm. put, put that in the show notes too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's super helpful, Nora, because I think it does give us a way to apply growth mindset and also kind of see it play out in this framework along all those levels. And I really Mm -hmm. loved how you talked about kind of sharing that moment with Marielle, because I think that that really brings her into the conversation and also shows how much you value that relationship and that um, what that means interpersonally to you. Um, I wonder, you know, we talked about- Can I just interrupt you for one second? I mean, I think the word that you just used right there is relationship, right? And that's such an important part of any of this. And I think um, to the extent that we can 
turn our eye to and focus on relationships and alliances and building trust um, in medical education and in the tr- in training in medical education, I th- I think that that is worth the effort because I, I, I do think that that's going to foster growth mindset. I mean, I think, you know, over time, if you're allowed, for example, to precept a learner over time, it's much it's going to be much easier for you to give honest feedback that supports the idea of growth than it is if you precept a student twice. I think uh, Nora's point earlier about, um, you know, I don't sit there and name for the, for the learner like this is an example of holding a fixed mindset, I think is really powerful and I think speaks to the nuance and teaching about growth versus fixed mindset. So maybe if we do have time, Nora, could you share your approach to teaching about growth uh, versus fixed mindset in medical education? Just because um, I know you'd mentioned it. We're not quite there in medical education and applying this, and how can we get there? Yeah, um, it's really interesting because I think um, sort of like the idea of um, of it being a little bit like power yoga, I worry that it's going to become this thing that we become like competitive about how we teach it and then competitive about how we assess it. And um, for me, sometimes I think the idea of um, – teaching new material and te- and assessing how well students learn new material can't happen unless we look at the structures in which we teach. So um, what do I mean by that? I mean, I think you said this before about relationships. I think relationships are really important. I think alliances are really important. And I think it's really hard to do that well in traditional block clerkships, for example. So I, I do think that um, that for something as conceptually, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, maybe it's not novel, but I think when something is really a paradigm shift, like really sort of moving away from um, from performance to mastery orientation, I think doing trying to do that and not also thinking broadly about the way we teach is a it's a sort of a fool's errand. I don't think we're going to be able to d- disaggregate structure from stance. And I think growth mindset, cultivating growth mindset, um, cultivating mastery orientation, I think that that's a stance um, rather than a structural change. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Have you thought about some structural changes that you feel like would be really <laughs> beneficial? <laughs> well, I mean, I think, you know, there are, there are lots. Like, I think the move towards longitudinal integrated clerkships has been a step in the right direction. I think that the, you know, time variable education is another example of this. There are some students who are ready to move to the next part of their learning sooner than others. Um, and we, we have don't, a great we, episode on just about that. So, oh, yeah? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 good. So um, send it to me because I'd love to hear it. Absolutely. I think normalizing feedback is an, is a um, another way we can do it. Like at our institution, we have a day a week that it's called Feedback Fridays and everybody gets feedback. And I think that that's a step in the right direction. Um I think doing like a debrief after rounds every day might be might be even better just to really normalize the idea that you are being observed and we're you are receiving feedback and I as the attending on the wards I'm also interested in feedback um and we're going to do this all the time. So those are I think maybe those are a few examples. Wouldn't it be kind of interesting to think about a longitudinal integrated residency? Yes. I was just thinking about that when you said that, like what that structure would look like. Yeah. Um, Well, like imagine, you know, at UCSF, imagine you guys 
if you had residents who were interested in it, they could spend the vast majority of their time at the VA, for example, the vast majority of their time working with the same patient population, working with the same attendings, and really developing their, um, their skills as doctors and as learners there under constant, not constant, but regular supervision by the same handful of perfect educators who you have at the <laughs> well, I think it's it's interesting because our primary or outpatient clinics are in that way, right? You're in the same uh, environment, like let's say at the yeah. VA or at yeah. um, our county hospital over and over again. But it's different when you do have to kind of take yourself out of that environment to a new environment every mm-hmm. four to six weeks and mm-hmm. uh, kind of readjust and, re- and adapt uh, further. One thing that you mentioned, Nora, because I, I love the in kind of creativity and and the innovation that's coming out of this episode. I you <laughs> mentioned how do we assess growth mindset, and yeah. I wonder, you know, thinking about health professions education broadly, how do you see growth mindset being applicable in the future around um, both maybe curriculum development and also assessment of it uh, in the clinical learning environment, kind of maybe as a competency in this future residency that we're creating, this longitudinal <laughs> integrated residency. Maybe yeah. can you speak a bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I, and I think it's hard, it's hard for me to imagine doing a good job of embracing, fostering, cultivating growth mindset without taking a serious look at the way we are teaching. We are teaching, we're teaching medical content um, and medical knowledge as as in, in, in sort of in the same way that we did before this idea of acquisition of knowledge as a doctor being someone who acquires knowledge now i could say i mean you and i both know or all three of us know that you don't actually need to know everything to be a doctor right you can look stuff up cuz god knows your patients are right your patients are coming in and saying i already looked this up and these are the tests i want you to get on me so i I don't think I, I so so I don't know that we're I don't know that we are changing the way that we're teaching. I think we're still teaching this idea of acquisition of knowledge, of success being based on the acquisition of knowledge. Whereas curiosity, right? Curiosity is something that we could be teaching about. And I don't know how to do that. I'm sort of I guess I'm curious about how to, how to do that. I don't know how to do that. And more importantly to your point is I don't know how to assess it. I don't know. These are good questions for future research, <laughs> but I, I like that you're, you know, I, I, I think I like your point that it, this is not something that we could just sort of have a didactic around, like working right. on having a growth mindset, and that really it is a bigger structural, leading by example, and you know, and and supporting kind of failure and learning as a process instead of supporting, as you said, acquisition of knowledge and showing that you've acquired that knowledge. Yeah. Do you want to share some take-home points, Nora? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think probably the only thing I would say is that we're all learning, and that's a really important thing um, for us to know. I, I, you know, I, I don't know all the answers, obviously, and so I'm, um, I'm really curious about all of this stuff, and so I think the, these kinds of conversations are really important to have um, going. F- going forward, just to be sort of be open to the idea that we could do better at all of this. Um, That's probably the thing I would say. And I think I would say that to Mariel too, just to go back to our case that, you know, this is, this is part of the conversation. 
part of the conversation here is, you know, why did I fail this test and what can I do differently next time? Some words of inspiration. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And Nora, is there anything you'd like to plug? Any resources, any uh, websites, articles, anything that... Recent publications. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm not very good at plugging, but I will tell you that um, uh, my colleagues and I just wrote a piece that came out earlier this year in academic medicine about uh, racism in medical education, and I would love feedback on it. So... (laughs) So, so that's that's part of the problem when you put something out there and it gets published. You don't really beyond the reviews, you don't get feedback on it. And so, um, if people have thoughts for Dr. Sonia Solomon, Dr. Alev Adelaide, Adelaide, and me, um, then I would love feedback on that. Um, Should they email you, or what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm being a little facetious. People don't actually have to do it, but yes, yes. Email, emails. You you can always email me. Yeah, Nora, you, you asked for it. Twitter discussion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, I'm not I'm either. T- I'm so too distractible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you got? Do you have anything to plug? Anything I should read? Uh, our podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. When when that episode uh, comes out about time variable competency based education, I think. Yeah. Send and, it to me. Yes, and yeah. uh, and then we also have one around kind of leveling up rounding skills, which actually oh. touches on a lot of using and cultivating growth mindset for yeah. the folks on the team. And yeah. uh, you really you really highlighted the power of that, Nora, especially kind of moving forward, how to cultivate the curiosity, how to think differently about um, implementing growth mindset along all the levels. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. Before I knew the language around growth mindset, this was years and years ago, one of my rheumatology attendings said, told me that he used to write in notes, I have no idea what's going on with this patient, right? He would write those words. I have no idea what's going <laughs> on with this patient. I just got a consultant letter that said that. And I was like, what? <laughs> I love it. And he actually, and he told me that he says to patients all the time, he used to, he's retired now. I don't know what's going on with you, but that's good because that means I'm going to continue thinking about it. When a doctor says to you, I know exactly what's wrong with you, that's his or her way of shutting the conversation down. Um, And so I often will now say to patients or to students, I don't know, but, you know, good. Let's look. Let's figure it out. Well, it also goes back to what you said earlier about the conversation, that a talk is a conversation. Like that person is keeping the conversation open. And in that scenario, it's with the patient. But here it can be for us with learners, with our colleagues, and um, really just keeping keeping the, the dialogue going. Yeah. Good. Well, this has been a delight. Well, thank you so much. It was, thank was you. great to meet you and, you and great to chat about this. And we're so excited to share with our listeners. Super. Thanks. So, Ira, any take-homes that you had from this episode? Yes. I think the part where Nora mentioned um, how if we're holding a fixed mindset and we worry about, especially in feedback conversations, that the feedback is going to be injurious to us, then we're going to be ego protective in the feedback that we give or the feedback conversation we have and just kind of the spiral effects of holding a certain particular mindset in a particular context. So for me, it was kind of a whoa or aha moment to say like how I think about this conversation is actually related to the mindset that I hold um, about this relationship, about the context in which I'm teaching. So really thinking about how that applies on a day-to-day basis when I'm precepting or teaching. I think that was a super valuable pearl. And the one that I really liked was kind of thinking about the idea that we can't just have a 30-minute didactic on growth mindset and expect that to 
you know, really land with our learners and that we need to think bigger about the structure of the system that we work in and really how to optimize medical education. Because right now we don't really value a growth mindset when we are just trying to uh, focus on the acquisition of knowledge, as she put it. So this has been another episode of our Curbsiders mini-series, The Curbsiders Teach. Get your show notes at thecurbsiders.com slash teach. We're committed to providing you with high-value, practice-changing knowledge. And to do that, we need your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or contact us at thecurbsidersteach at gmail.com. A special thanks to Dr. Matt Watto and Dr. Paul Williams for their support in this project, and to Dr. Stuart Brigham for composing our theme music. And of course, to Claire Morgan of Notterly for editing our audio. And a reminder that this and most episodes are available for free CME credit for all healthcare professionals at curbsiders.vcuhealth.org. All you have to do is create an account. Until next time, I've been Dr. Molly Hoidlein. And I'm Dr. Ira Krzyzanowska. Thank you for joining us today and letting us bring you a little nugget of medical edutainment.